Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. GX on Agriculture. With Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, water quality was one of the topics discussed during the Cattle College portion yesterday at the Saskatchewan Beef Industry Conference going on in Saskatoon. Alicia Sopatik is the Livestock and Feed Extension Specialist in Tisdale. She'll fill us in on what's going on on that front. As well, the East Central Research Foundation farm near Yorkton has completed another study. Research coordinator Mike Hall was checking to see if it was worth split applying nitrogen to manage drought risk in wheat. We'll have all of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Water quality was one of the topics discussed during the Cattle College portion yesterday at the Saskatchewan Beef Industry Conference going on in Saskatoon. The Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture offers free water testing for surface water supplies wells and even test wells. Alicia Sopatik is the Livestock and Feed Extension Specialist in Tisdale. You know, you really can't manage what you don't measure. Without those visual symptoms, we don't know. And that doesn't mean that we need to stick our head in the sands and not pay attention to them, because it is good to know. If you know more, um, you are able to deal with it a lot better. We also have to look at times of year. So in the summertime, evaporation, animals drinking, depending on your rain or runoff, recharge going into there, the mineral levels can become even more concentrated and unsuitable. Water quality for cattle and other types of livestock is extremely important. Water quality intake can affect the feed intake, the absorption of nutrients, overall productivity. We're looking at pounds and gains, um, herd health and things like that. Basically, it's complicated. That doesn't mean that it's not manageable, but knowing what you have is really important because there are lots of parameters that come into play. One of the most common problems we do see is the high sulfate scenario. And really, I'm going to sound like a broken record again. There are lots of parameters to be testing for that can cause problems but the high sulfates can cause a toxicity scenario themselves depending on the level. Um, You can get extreme toxicity causing blindness, polio and death on that subclinical level, uh, secondary copper deficiency and things like that all affecting our productivity and our bottom line. Sulfate levels can be tested using a conductivity meter as a screening tool. 
Tariffs, anything less than 2,000 for conductivity is generally safe. Um, if you haven't tested that source before or have other concerns, we can certainly test that. Anything in between the 2,000 to 6,500, that's generally a cautionary range from a sulfate perspective, and so those can be sent to the lab for further testing. Then anything over that 6,500, just basically unsuitable from a sulfate perspective. Over the last three years, about half of all provincial water samples tested had sulfate levels that were totally safe. About 40% were in the cautionary category and just under 10% were unsuitable. Most of the unsuitable samples came from southern or central regions of Saskatchewan. Coming up in a few minutes time we will tell you what to do if your water quality is less than ideal. But first it's time for the Ag Review portion of our program and that's a presentation of new era ag technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. The Ice Futures canola market posted steady losses for five sessions, testing the lower edge of their well-established trading ranges before finally uncovering some support yesterday. The losses did damage from a chart perspective, with the activity bumping the trading window lower, according to an analyst. On its own, Errol Anderson of ProMarket Communications in Calgary said there wasn't much that would support a significant recovery in canola at this time of year, with the lower trading range likely to continue, barring some outside supportive news. He says a 50% recovery would take the old crop futures back to the $820 to $830 per metric ton area, but anything above that would need additional supportive news. For the new crop, he placed the market in a range between $760 to $800 per metric ton. Fertilizer producer Mosaic does not currently see the right market conditions to restart its idled Saskatchewan potash mine with high inventories in the U.S. and Brazil and cold weather slowing trains from Canada. Mosaic curtailed potash production in December at its Kalonzi mine, but said then that it expected to restart in early 2023. Spring is North America's busiest time of year for potash applications. Potash producers are banking on a return to stable prices in 2023 after disappointing demand late last year in the United States and Brazil. Potash is a key nutrient for corn and other crops, and elevated prices earlier in 2022 contributed to food inflation. Prices had initially spiked after Russia invaded Ukraine and prompted Western countries to issue sanctions on Russia's banking system that have slowed its potash exports. The federal government has made it clear it will not return fertilizer tariff funds directly to farmers who paid the tax, and the Ontario Federation of Agriculture has three other suggestions for how the federal government can spend the more than $34 million collected. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau and Finance Minister Christia Freeland continue to reiterate their commitment to working towards a fair resolution to the tariff issue for the agriculture sector. The OFA has been actively promoting these options to the federal government. The development of a new program or an investment by the federal government into an existing program 
that provides easy direct payments to farmers for implementation of best management practices, particularly around emission reduction. An establishment of a, tra a tax rebate to return dollars directly to farmers and investment in the development of domestic nitrogen production in eastern Canada. The OFA adds that any method to return the fertilizer tariff funds to the agriculture industry must be simple to apply and administer, must directly impact farmers in eastern Canada, and of course it must be timely. Beginning in April, Canadian dairy producers will be able to compare the methane efficiency ratings of their dairy cattle. Lactanet Canada is launching the first ever national genetic evaluation for methane efficiency, and the trait will be added to the list of traits evaluated for the Holstein breed. These genetic evaluations are used by Canadian producers when making herd management and breeding decisions. The addition of a methane efficiency trait comes one year after the Dairy Farmers of Canada announced its goal to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions from farm level production by 2050. Measuring and benchmarking the methane efficiency trait was made possible through two large scale international projects led by Canadian researchers. The genetic selection tool is expected to result in a 20 to 30 percent reduction in methane emissions from a herd by 2050 without negatively affecting production levels. Many producers and industry professionals across the United States are focused on the next Farm Bill, the overarching program most similar to the Ag Policy Framework in Canada. There is still plenty to be determined on not only what is in the bill, but also when it will finally get done. The Farm Bill includes several programs, including conservation programs, lending programs, rural development, and nutrition. On conservation and climate, Canadian policy leans towards a compliance model, but Dr. Joe Outlaw, professor and extension economist with Texas A&M University, says the U.S. is very keen on staying with a voluntary system. And a California farm worker accused of shooting seven people to death near San Francisco, some of them his co-workers, made his first court appearance yesterday after he was charged with murder in the state's second deadly gun rampage in recent days. 66-year-old Chun-Li Zhao, the lone suspect in Monday's massacre at two mushroom farms in the seaside town of Half Moon Bay, was to be formally presented with seven counts of premeditated murder and a single count of attempted murder in a criminal complaint filed by local prosecutors. The complaint against Zhao also alleged special circumstances, accusing Zhao of personally and intentionally shooting to kill. California law declares that defendants convicted of murder with special circumstances can be eligible for the death penalty, but Governor Gavin Newsom in 2019 declared a moratorium on executions. The state has not executed a condemned inmate since 2006. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after these messages. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. We have light snow and minus 4 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. 
I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Water quality for cattle was discussed at the Beef Industry Conference yesterday in Saskatoon. Alicia Sopatik is the Livestock and Feed Extension Specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture in Tisdale. Typically we do expect groundwater to be more stable year to year. That also depends on um, where that wellhead is. If it's new or old, the construction of it, if it's in a low spot and you have runoff going um, through it, that may um, impact not necessarily on a sulfate perspective, although it could, um, maybe more on a nitrate perspective if you have corrals nearby and things like that. So other factors to keep in mind there for sure. So when is the best time to test water quality? best time to test for, for dugouts or surface sources, I would say, after the spring runoff will give you a good indication of what you'll start with um, for that summer grazing season. Um, that'll also establish that baseline. If you do have a cautionary range after that, um, that initial runoff, uh, you know that it will likely concentrate depending on what the heat is and the, the volume that the cattle are drinking and all those kinds of things throughout the summer. So if you do notice a problem after that initial test, um, testing and monitoring again throughout the summer as they utilize that would be important to make sure it doesn't concentrate down to an unsuitable uh, use or unsuitable level. Sopadek says there are measures to deal with subpar water quality. There's lots of different types or forms of mineral. Basically, there's all different types of forms, and depending on what your level of sulfate is, there might be a form better suited to make that copper more available to the animal, or even um, in some cases like a vitamin supplement. It's important to think about mineral year-round as well. I know some people don't always look at summer pastures because it's, it's green, lush growth. It has some vitamins in there, but it's important to uh, mitigate the water quality, especially if that's a concern. Pasture rotations, you know, if you have a source that's notoriously poor water quality, maybe you use that at a point in time when fertility is not as important or with a group where fertility is not as important, like open cows. Water treatment is one as well. Reverse osmosis is becoming more feasible for livestock situations. Now, I totally recognize not every dugout on every operation in every field is going to have an RO system, but in some cases it may be um, warranted and may be a viable option. Otherwise, alternative sources, right? Digging a new well or a new dugout might be the only option. And I guess that comes down to a management strategy looking long-term at your operations in terms of what's going to work for you. In some cases, in a pinch, it's been hauling water for people, and that's not ideal. But that could be a last resort, I guess, in some cases. And these are Sopatik's parting comments. I realize, right, pothole country, not every source you're going to test, but it's important still to have a handle on what those main sources are. And we will know, right? You know where the cattle go to drink, especially on those surface sources. So keep sulfates and other things in mind, things like iron, nitrates, uh, sodium. There's a whole host of things that we can test for and that have shown to be issues in other scenarios. So while we do talk about sulfates, don't forget about the other things and, and having that bottom line because that affects your bottom line and your herd health on your operation. Alicia Sopatik is the Provincial Livestock Feed and Extension Specialist in Tisdale. She spoke yesterday at the Saskatchewan Beef Industry Conference in Saskatoon. It's time now for the Livestock Market Conditions and their presentation of Heartland Livestock in Yorkton. Livestock Market Conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for February trading at 157.07, down 52. 
April live cattle trading at 160.80, down 75. March feeder cattle trading at 183.20, down 55. April feeder cattle trading at 187.47, down 87. February lean hogs trading at 77.07, that's up 27. April lean hogs trading at 86.97, up 165. And that's the livestock market conditions. Now it's time for the Heartland Livestock Report from Yorkton. Good afternoon. This is the Yorkton Heartland Livestock Market Report for the week of January the 25th. Another huge pre-sort sale here with 27.50 in the sort. 575 cows and bulls, a total of 33.25 for the day. This cow and bull market was 3 to 4 lower here. D1, D2 cows, 80 to 90. Sales to a dollar, dollar one on these high yielding kind of cows. D3 cows, 70 to 80. Cows are averaging 86 and a quarter. Good bulls, 115 to 125. Sales to 129, 130. Bulls are averaging 116. On to the pre-store sale, and what a sale that was. Selling strong and active, and it was higher in spots. Listen up, guys. 425-pound blacks, 352. 500-pound steers at 329. 575-pound steers, 309. 650-pound black steers, 298. My favorite pen, 710-pound tan steers, 274. 800-pound red black exotic steers at 257. There was 77 in that package. 850-pound red black exotic steers at 250. 950-pound steers, 233, and 1,000-pounders at 215. On the heifer side, we had a package of 42 little black heifers, 425 pounds, topped out at 271. 500-pound black heifers, 266. 575-pound heifers, 252. 650-pound tan heifers, 236. There was 83 black heifers weighing 650 pounds. They topped out at 235. 710s at 229. Made a package of, of replacement heifers. 750-pound red black exotic heifers topped out at 225. 800-pounders at 224. And 850-pound heifers at 217. The highlight of the morning was 113 black steers, 640 pounds at 298. And this Friday, January 27th, our first bred cow and bred heifer sale. Consigned so far 300 breads with three herd dispersals. The black cows from Malinowski's Farms of Yorkton. We also have the tan and red cows, a set of red white-faced cows, black heifers bred speckle, and also some cow-calf pairs. This sale will be on DLMS and sale starts at 11 o'clock. That's it for this week at Heartland Yorkton. I'm Harvey Exner. Have a good day. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Saskatchewan pulse growers have turned to a well-known expert to provide a pulse market update. Marlena Borsch lists some general factors for pulse crops, including lentils, peas, and chickpeas. Well, we are post Christmas now, and in general, we spend the fall trying to refine um, various production levels in various countries, and we now know what happened in Australia, more or less. And so this is the time when we really focus on the demand side in general. And um, we can say that we had on the lentils um, very good November exports still, um, but we were a little bit disappointed on export levels on peas, for example. So 
that gave me at least a little bit of a pause and there was really a reduction in what we normally ship to China because China is the, by far the single biggest buyer and, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit um, when we could delve into the piece more. So when you look at the demand side it's really Canadian prices relative to our competitors prices that are very very important and again you know there we can um, talk about uh, Australian rental offers for example. Um, we think about foreign exchange rates and in all our markets I think this year that's a factor that really makes us uh, think about demand levels and to just give you an example um, we sell lentils and peas chickpeas into the Middle East and it's particularly grave there currencies ha uh, have been very very weak relative to the US dollar and that makes the import prices expensive and we do know that on a relative level, if you look back to the last five and 10 years, prices have increased quite a bit. So these are the base prices expressed in US dollars. And then there's an additional level of expense, so to speak, when you convert it into the local currencies. And this is what the buyers eventually have to come up with. And I'm in general a little bit concerned about that. Having said that, I'm a big believer that basic food items, and that certainly includes pulse crops, um, will have to be bought. But it affects um, how people forward buy and how they think about the market, how careful about the market. And when you talk about increases in, in domestic price levels of anywhere from 50 to 70 percent, depending on the countries, then you must also think, um, is it legitimate to still take the same demand levels that we have gotten used to? And is it legitimate to take a thing about increases in demand? It might very well be, but it's something that uh, lingers in our mind as a level of concern. So it's basically the ability of buyers to pay for products in general, um, you know, as we concerned about the world economies and recessions and further inflation going forward. So I would say these these are um, really some of the key factors as we think about the spring, uh, how much we should seed and uh, about next year's demand levels, you know, when we are, because we are starting to kind of pencil these into next year's S&D as well. As she looks forward to this spring, Borsch speculates on acreage shifts. Well, the most forceful of price signals are coming from canola. And the reason there is that oil, vegetable oil values in the world are very, very high. Canola is an oil crop that has unusually high oil levels and so that really supports canola. So bits are very aggressive. We also have um, increased um, biofuel capacities looming and some of these things. At the same token though, you know, speaking to growers, um, agronomists and so on, I think it's difficult to increase canola acres further simply for rotational issues. We have, um, you know, some disease issues there as well. So while the price signal is very strong, I think acreage increases will be modest. In fact, you know, I think it might be more or less even with slight increases. Um, but we also have fairly strong signals uh, for next year from by wheat. And what's different with wheat this year over the last number of years is that exports have actually been very good. And so farmers always notice the flow of things and um, with strong wheat exports, both for spring wheat and also for durum wheat in the southern areas in the Palliser Triangle, I think wheat, um, you know, is going to be posing fairly strong competition. Then when I look at price levels for peas and lentils, I'm a little bit afraid that um, it's difficult for exporters to put aggressive prices forward because it's difficult to forward sell for some of the reasons we mentioned earlier. 
And so when I do, it, of course, it varies by region and um, will be different in, uh, for various farms. But when I look at cost of production versus the returns with some of the price indications we have so far, and people have been conservative with giving uh, prices on, on forward prices on special crops, I'm afraid that we will losing, we'll be losing a little bit of acreage, uh, both on peas and lentils. Um, within the lentils, I think maybe we increase greens a bit and lose more reds, uh, but I'm, I'm afraid that overall um, we'll have a little bit of a reduction there as well. So again, you know, as I said, with the major grains, it's sometimes easier um, to post forward prices. You have futures markets and so on. Um, it is not so on pulses, but, you know, we want to have um, strong production in order to maintain our export markets. And if you take away, say, 5% uh, each on lentils or peas, potentially, I think our um, supply levels obviously will, uh, you know, fall a little bit. And it might be difficult to maintain some of these important market shares. Coming up, Marlena Borsch will expand on the lentil market. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. March canola trading at 807.50. That's up $7 per metric ton. May canola trading at 808.60. That's up $9 per metric ton. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 917.5, up 8 cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 864 per bushel up 20 and three quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat trading at 7.53 and a quarter, up 12 cents. March corn trading at 6.83 per bushel, up eight and a quarter cents. March soybeans trading at 15.21 per bushel, up 18 and a half cents. March oats trading at 3.86 and a half, up eight and a half cents. And that's the commodities update. Getting back to Marlena Borsch with Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. She's been listing some general factors for pulse crops, including lentils, peas, and chickpeas. Borsch expanded on the lentil market for us. Well, our Australian friends have enjoyed uh, three consecutive years of, of good rainfall, which in general equates to very good crops. And lentils are no exception. And the original expectation for this crop as we went through their growing season kept growing. And people were expecting 1.1 to 1.15 million tons of lentils. The general consensus is that the rains just prior and during harvest reduced the crop up to 25%. I think that's a little bit high. Um, I would say that we are somewhere between 700 and 800,000 tons, which is still a very large crop. But we have also produced lower grades of lentils. And a lot of people said, well, you know, that will kind of um, keep our uh, stand in the um, overseas market very, very strong. And I tend to think a little bit differently about that in that um, having lower grades also 
allows them, so to speak, to offer um, cheaper prices overseas. And I'm specifically thinking about India um, because they will they know how to and they will use the lower grades. In fact, they welcome them because of the price reduction relative, um, you know, to the uh, number two basis levels, uh, price base price levels. And so it's exactly what has happened. And Australian prices roughly are about US dollars 50 per ton cheaper right now into India, which means that they will be preferring to buy, aside from some of the Canadian lentils, certainly Australian uh, red lentils as well. So I, you, you know, while the um, rain events reduce the crop, it also automatically, because of the quality reductions, uh, created some lower grades and. I see that as somewhat of a negative development with respect to prices because we had a fairly uniformly decent crop. Most of the crop is, is a number two or number two or better as, as we're selling to them. And um, so I think in, in, in an odd way, it actually allows that lower grade more easily into their market. So, you know, if you want to talk about the crop size, as I said, I think it's uh, 700 to 800,000 tons. And that seems to be roughly correct with, um, you know, what we hear from Australia. Um, but it also, um, the events also allow the lower grades and um, particularly into countries like India, Bangladesh, Pakistan. To, uh, to me, that's a negative development for Canada. She explains what she's watching for in the red lentil market. Well, the shipments have been very, very strong and continue to be strong. The one thing I'm watching from Australia is because all crops have been quite large. They have a very, very good wheat crop. Uh, originally, it was expected that the um, volumes were down more because of the weather developments. The same for canola. They have something like 7.3 million tons to 7.7 canola. And what we're starting to see on the major grains is some problems um, in the ports with congestion. And so we'll have to keep an eye on that um, for the special crop, certainly, as well. The other thing maybe to mention um, with respect to Australia is that during COVID and the container problems that were prevalent all over the world, basically, they learned to ship bulk pulses. And to me, uh, that takes away one of our very fundamental advantages that we have had into the large volume markets like India, into Bangladesh, peas into China. Um, we have been very good and pioneering and shipping bulk pulses and having other major exporters uh, developing those same skills makes them more competitive. So that's uh, you know just an aside that came to mind. And um, as I said, while I'm watching if congestion levels will slow them down a little bit or not, they might well. In a longer, from a longer term point of view, um, they have learned some additional skills over the last two years uh, during the pandemic that makes them actually more competitive into the large volume markets. Borsch then talks about green lentils. Well, green lentils are a little bit different because our only major competition is the United States. And, um, you know, their crop was kind of mediocre. Um, basically, the market is tight and will remain tight, in my opinion. And you see that in prices, prices have been fairly stable. They're ever so slightly weaker this week. Um, but I think that's partly a, a seasonality issue because um, we do normally on the green lentil side strong shipments uh, after harvest because people would like the fresh color of the green lentils. And then they usually fill their stores, um, you know, to bridge Christmas and so on. And then towards Easter, 
Feb March, um, we tend to have the second tranche of shipments, and I expect that to happen this year as well. The balance sheet tells us it will remain tight, so I don't really foresee a lot of changes there. And I wouldn't be too nervous at the moment with a slight weakening, um, other than that if all commodities were to weaken, we, we generally tend to follow foot a little bit. Um, but the S&D is solid um, for green lentils, and um, I don't see any reason why there should be major um, drops in prices on the green lentil side. She provides her outlook for lentil values in 2023. Well, as I said earlier, I think um, particularly the price signals on the red lentil side at 30 cents so far for a new crop are a little bit disadvantageous relative to wheat and canola, for example. So, you know, it will be very hard to increase acres. Um, and I think that we'll see somewhat of a reduction on the red lentil side. Movement uh, at the moment is a little bit sluggish. Uh, it was very good, actually, in November and into Christmas. We did, I think it was something like 60,000 ton bulk shipments over the Christmas period. So that really helped. But right now it seems to slacken off a bit and prices have fallen, uh, weakened a bit on the red lentil side and now we are in the planning period um, for lentils and so um, you know that doesn't bode well in terms of overall competitiveness of lentils uh, towards the others whereas on the green side um, we haven't seen a lot of prices 40 cents i saw um, for small greens you know that helps um, a little bit the yields are a bit small uh, a little bit smaller for greens than for reds but uh, that's a substantial difference in price and uh, that should more or less maintain those acres for green lentils. Marlena Borsch is with Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. Her comments come from the Pulse of the Prairies podcast. We'll have more of her comments coming up on tomorrow's program. But now it's time for the Farm Bulletin Board. That's coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. The Saskatchewan Pulse Growers is holding their 2023 Winter Pulse Meetings starting next week. You can register now for the Winter Pulse Meetings beginning February 2nd. They'll be hosting four events along with an exciting panel of presenters. You can either join them in person in four different communities or you'll have the option to join virtually for the Regina Meeting. The Regina Meeting is coming up next Thursday, February 2nd. Then there will be a meeting in Assiniboia Thursday, February 9th, a meeting in Elrose Thursday, February 16th, and a meeting in Melfort on Thursday, March 2nd. So you can go ahead and register for those meetings now. Just check out the Saskatchewan Pulse Growers website for all of that information. There's an Ag Awareness Summit coming up February 14th and 15th. It'll be held by the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture to celebrate 10 years of work to build public trust in the industry. You can register for that event now. It'll be held in Saskatoon, I believe. So that's coming up. You can register for that online. Uh, simply go to Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan, and they should be able to help you out with that. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. 5 to 8 centimeters of snow altogether. Winds west-northwest at 25 to 50, gusting to 65 at times. 
and a high of plus 2 degrees. For tonight, flurries ending, winds northwest at 25 to 50, gusting to 60, a low of minus 14. For tomorrow, partly sunny at times, winds north-northwest at 15 to 30, the temperature falling to minus 20 with a wind chill of minus 29, the overnight low of minus 26 with a wind chill of minus 36. For Saturday, mainly sunny, winds west-northwest at 15 to 30, a high of minus 22, a wind chill of minus 33. For Sunday, mainly sunny, a high of minus 24, and Monday, mainly sunny, a high of minus 23. In the Paw, it's minus 12 degrees, Swan River minus 9, Dauphin minus 6, Brandon minus 7, Show Lake Russell and Roblin minus 8. Regina, Saskatoon, and Indian Head are at plus 3, Hudson Bay minus 6, Broadview Mooseman minus 3, Winyard Wadena Kelvington plus 2. The Yorkton Melville region has some light snow, a south wind at 17 gusting to 28 kilometers an hour. 90% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 4 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 10 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.